And I think that's the show. Everyone hear me okay? Fantastic. We're going to be having a little bit of a light show. Uh, just because I feel like it. I'm in kind of a, a decent mood. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, there's some things that I say to this fandom that annoy the shit out of them. And tonight I might be broaching that, so let's just get right on into it. Tonight I'll be using a video game metaphor. And sometimes that just really gets up some of your craws. Uh, you just can't stand it. And so, uh, uh, just warning right now, we're getting into it. That's the metaphor I'm using to cope this week. Uh, so in the video game metaphor analogy, uh, well, I was hoping that's fun. I said that in a way, it's like, hello, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for coming. I, I hope that's fun because I'm not actually trying to piss anybody off. All right. So now that that's established, that I've told the punchline and how it's to be interpreted like all great joke tellers, uh, the, I mean, I, I've been pretty honest about my mental health, both in general and then throughout this. It's been hard. And just because I'm in a privileged state doesn't mean that it's not automatic or that it's automatically easy for me because it's, it's certainly not. And I've had my struggles and my ups and downs mostly doing okay. Um, but I, I've mostly really felt pretty good about it this week. Um, t between getting season three done, getting good reviews on that, very nice. Uh, there's that cat trying to fucking come in. She sees the light on. <sighs> i got to not concentrate on her like a horror movie. Okay. Uh, I'll get to the cat in a second while she's trying to break in the fucking door in a minute. Um, but the thing that's really hit for me this week, the thing that's helped, is I think I've just kind of hit my level. I talked about this a little bit last week, uh, but I've just like, okay, I think I, I think I get this. I think I get, all right, there's gonna, be a, there's gonna be some aliens and shit. There's gonna be some volcanoes, but I think I get what this is for the next X amount of time. And what it felt like after I had that revelation, because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. My crystal ball technology is as good as yours. But I feel like I get, like, okay, I, I, I've i developed my model in my head for what the best case and the worst case scenario realistically in any way is. And it's just going to play out. And ever since then, a weight off my shoulders. And that weight off my shoulders felt very specific. And it felt very, very... Like, resentful. Like, I felt resentful of that goodness as soon as I got it, which is actually not all that atypical for me, which is why I've been in therapy for so long. But I remember specifically that feeling of relief. I was like, wait a minute. I know this feeling of relief. I know exactly what this feeling of relief is. This is the feeling of relief you get in a video game where they put you into a level that's, like, too fucking hard, or they put you in a level where you're your health is constantly dropping and there's an upgrade that's going to stop that, but you have to go through the level far enough to find it. And then you finally get and you're like, oh, thank Christ. Now I'm not dying all the time. It's that fucking feeling. It's that exact same feeling. The feeling of acceptance over the world, like, 
being whatever it is right now and going whatever direction it's going to go from here and then feeling better about it and shopping and and eating even better and getting back to exercising and doing cardio and shit. As soon as I realized I was doing that, I was like, oh my God, that's exact. that's all this is. I got some, I got some stupid fucking like rationalization upgrade that I needed at the beginning of this stupid process. And I'm, now I'm wondering the entire time, now that I'm, now that I'm doing a little bit better with it, fairly consistently, we're almost at two weeks of me not being a total crackpot, uh, kinda, sorta. Now that I'm here, I'm wondering, do people always just have this, no matter what's going on, no matter how real or not? Do they always just look around and go like, wow, that could kill everybody? da 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 Like, a lot of people hit the ground running on this one, and I'm just wondering, is that what they do? Do I just not see them crying for two or three days, and then I they come back? Because I got to say, anybody who's seen me this week has got to think that I'm having the time of my life, or I'm a conspiracy. Th- I mean, I'm wearing a mask, but I, I'm having the time of my life, or I'm out there. Because I'm like, you know, walking by, like doing my cardio with my music and shit. Like, hey guys, how's everybody doing? Neighbors I've never seen before. Let me wave at you, because I'm feeling free. I hope you don't know too many people who just died. <laughs> I don't. Yet. Uh, <laughs> so... So that's basically uh, the joie de vivre that I've been rolling lately, and it's it's been working for me. Um, I can't have this voice uh, unless I'm doing at least a little bit of exercise, at least eating at least a little bit okay, and I've been doing both uh, in droves. I've really been trying to treat myself as, as, uh, as well as I could in this. I've, I've made that pledge a few times. I've really tried to follow through, though, and especially since I've been feeling a little bit more upbeat. Besides THC, uh, I uh, 100% feel like I've just been, like, the best little monk who's ever lived. Just eating my oatmeal and green tea throughout the morning and sometimes the day. Ooh, today I get to have potatoes, you know? Like, sitting at home and waiting for it and barely flipping any... Like, I've been this, like, the best little monk just trying to get through it, uh, and that's been nice. Kitty, on the other hand, has been an abject horror from the pits of fucking hell. Let's go over. So, I make a mistake every once in a while where I allow myself to love, and that clouds my judgment. Really, when I don't let human emotions into the robot matrix of my mind, that's when I do best. And, unfortunately, I've grown rather attached to the cat, so a lot of you could be like, well, just get rid of the cat. I know, too late, don't worry. Let's just deal with the problem that we have right now. So, a moth got in a couple of days ago, and I made a huge mistake of thinking it was cute that the cat was focused intensely on the moth. She would stare at it and bark at it. She couldn't get to it. And she spent about two days just like flopping over in random places, just staring at where the moth was. And I'd have to come find her and pet her a little bit. She'd be all in a trance. And I'd give her that pet where the cat's like, ah, ah, what the, ah, 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 feed me. You know, the, the cat has that reaction when you pet him from behind. And I was just, you know, trying to enjoy 
my 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 upgrade, my level up, whatever it, we're going with with this metaphor. And then she killed the moth off off screen. I didn't see it happen, but I did hear it happen because I heard from the other room, and I go and I check on her because this is not kitty behavior, and there's a dead moth. Well, on total accident, the other night. I must have let at least eight of the fuckers in. We don't know how many, or we, because we can't. But I let a bunch in, and I don't know how or when. Like, I cracked a window or something, and they all snuck in while I wasn't looking. Uh, But they got in. And since then, Mrs. Kitty has been the huntress of the fucking moon. She has been all day, all night, getting into position, finding moths, killing them, screaming out her war cry, and then on to her next victim, sometimes stalking them for like 12, 18 hours straight before she finally gets the goddamn killing. And the crazy thing is, is because she's doing all this hunting and it's, it's just so cute and all that, when she does finally kill one and tucker herself out, she is the sweetest, most placid creature I've ever been with. She literally will just lay in place for two, three, four hours at a time in almost human-like positions, not curled up in a ball like normal. Just, like, so tired that she just flops down like, fuck. And, like, she presses her ass against me, and she will literally sleep there for three, four hours, like, sleep, sleep. Usually she snores like a little kitty snore that will never, ever disturb me in a million years because it's just like this tiny little kitty little... It's the most adorable thing ever, but she's tuckered out. So she'll curl up in this little ball beneath the blanket. She's like, (laughs) it's ridiculous. It's the greatest thing. And so normally when I go out for like cardio to the gym or something uh, or a hike or whatever, she's, she's usually like guilt tripping me. You know, she'll sit by the window and she'll like look at me, but then not look at me, but then look at me, then not look at me and be like, I don't fucking miss you. But uh, 100% since I started this, uh, all uh, all of my activities are no longer being monitored in any way. It's totally random if there's a cat uh, uh, there or not. So all I got to say is maybe more cats in the future. Like, you can't do this with a dog. I've never realized that you couldn't do this with a dog. Like, I was all like, maybe I want a dog more than anything in the world because I do love dogs. But I'm like, dog's always going to give a shit what I'm doing. And I kind of like this arrangement. Maybe I want less attached pets. Like, now fish are on the table. Like, I've never realized how much I like caring for something that I just look at. That's a fish. (laughs) All right. Uh, that's the beginning of that. Oh, I also wanted to say something nice about you guys. I don't know. This is going to make somebody blush pretty hard, I think, once they hear this. We'll find out. Somebody said something to me this week when I was trying all these new things and just really putting myself out there, just, you know, just try to be grateful and use those spoons and all those things that I worked so hard for, but then I got and then fall into depressions. Eh, life. Uh, somebody said something this week just totally offhand about you girls 
about the ladies of the night in general, uh, and then about the ones who come on the server and uh, spend some of their time with us. And it really resonated with me. And I don't know that they knew that they were saying it, because I get messages all the time. Just tonight, a couple of uh, new girls who've never been out to the server before came in, and they said, oh, how nice it is. All the, all the girls are so nice. And yes, yes, yes. We are, we are, we are. Uh, so I get that all the time. But what this gal said was that she has a hard time making friends. And she didn't say anything in specific about the server. But she said it in a context or a larger conversation that made it clear that she was able to do it here and how much that meant to her. And she said that because of how good you guys were without any prompting or anybody saying that you should be or any special attention. And I'm willing to bet a number of you have felt that way before. Uh, and I thought that was a really nice message. A long time ago, a woman sent me a message saying that before she met me, met up with me, she never really had a friend with a woman before. And that really resonated with me. It stuck with me. And on some bad days, I still kind of pull that one back out. And I was wondering, maybe I might do the same with this one. Because it's absolutely true, you girls, whether or not you think you're friendly or good at making friends, you obviously are, because I don't really hang around with people who aren't. So, okay. That's the nice thing that I wanted to say. Uh, do you want to get into the show? It's so weird not having... Allie here because she just she always just wants to immediately jump on and go yes I've been doing this for a while I think this is the first time without her strange I feel naked Arya's covering for me she's doing so beautifully too like she's the perfect companion this isn't about her I just I miss her little Australian pom-poms don't we all and so when she's listening to this uh, just as we transition into the harder work, won't you all say thank you to Aria and Allie in your own little way, in the way that I uh, do in my head. I'm very grateful for them. They keep the show rolling right along. Yeah? Okay. <clears throat> Next to my own skin, her pearls. My mistress bids me wear them, warm them, until the evening when I'll brush her hair. At six, I place them round her cool white throat. All day, I think of her, resting in her yellow robe, contemplating silk and taffeta, which gown tonight. She fans herself whilst I work willingly, my slow heat entering. Each pearl slack on my neck, her rope. She's beautiful. I dream about her in my attic bed, picture her dancing with tall men, puzzled by my faint, persistent scent beneath her French perfume, her milky stones. I dust her shoulders with a rabbit's foot, watch the soft blush seep through her skin like an indolent sigh. 
In her looking-glass, my red lips part, as though I want to speak. Full moon, her carriage brings her home. I see her every moment in my head, undressing, taking off her jewels, her slim hand reaching for the case, slipping naked into the bed, the way she always does. And I lie here, awake knowing the pearls are cooling even now in the room where the mistress sleeps. All night, I feel their absence, and I burn. Warming Her Pearls by Carol Ann Duffy Got to close the window. I imagine that's one of those sound things that sounds exactly what it sounds like. Like that sounds exactly like a guy getting out from a rolly chair on a hard floor and closing a window. But if it didn't, I wanted to explain it. Because it always drives me nuts. When I hear something in a podcast, and I'm like, what the fuck was that? Now explain it. Just all like, oh, my kids are in the kitchen. Doing what? Say what the sound was so I can identify it, asshole. <laughs> it absolutely ruined... See? I need to do that before poetry. Now I'm all charming. All right. <clears throat> Coming together, it is easier to work after our bodies meet. Pen and paper. Neither care nor profit whether we write or not. But... As your body moves under my hands, charged and waiting, we cut the leash. You create me against your thighs, hilly with images, moving through our word countries. My body writes into your flesh the poem you make of me. Touching you, I catch midnight as moon fire set up in my throat. I love you, flesh, into blossom. I made you. Take you made. Into me. Recreation. Andre Lord. I made love to her on paper and spilled ink like passion across the sheets. I caressed her curves in every love letter. I kissed up and down her thighs in short sentences. And prose. I tasted all her innocence without a spoken word. I bit her lip and pulled her hair in between the lines. I made her arch her back and scream. It only took a pen. Untitled I stood in the bathroom doorway and watched her stir. The afternoon sunlight painted patterns on her naked contours. As it shone through the billowing curtains, her hair, still damp from our passionate exertions, clung to her face and her neck. And beads of sweat sparkled on her skin. She lay on her side, knees drawn up to her belly, showing off the wonderful sweep from narrow waist to curvaceous hips and the perfect roundness of sumptuous buttocks as she rolled onto her back as she stirred again 
and the magnificence of her ass was there before me, with patterns of light and dark dancing over her form, her nipples aroused at the soft breeze wafted over her, her eyes opened, and she smiled when she saw me. She sat up and brushed her hair from her face, then moved onto her knees and stretched, leaning back, until her hands touched the bed behind her, supporting herself on clenched fists and throwing her head right back until her black hair tumbled down her back. My eyes slowly scanned the beauty of her from her cascading black hair down to the cords and sinews of her neck to the fine structure of her shoulders, dwelling on the firm breasts and proud nipples before continuing on to the soft down to her flat belly and her round hips and buttocks before reaching the thick black triangle and her loud, taut thighs either side, I left the doorway and picked my way through the discarded clothing on the floor to reach the bed where she now sat, sitting on her haunches. She looked at me, a radiant smile illuminating her face with eyes that said, Gen. Afternoon Delight Paul Curtis She goes out to hang wind chimes in her nightie and her work boots. It's 6.30 in the morning, and she's standing on the plastic ice chest, tiptoe, to reach the crossbeam of the porch. Wind chime in her left hand, hammer in her right. The nail gripped tight between her teeth, but nothing happened next because she's trying to figure out how to switch one with three. She must have been standing in the kitchen, coffee in her hand, asleep, when she heard the wind blowing through the sound of the wind chime wasn't making, because it wasn't there. No one, including me, especially any more believes till death do us part. But I can see what I would miss in leaving. The way her ankles go into the work boots, the way she stands upon the ice chest, the problem scrunched into her forehead, that little kissable mouth with the nail head in it. Wind Chime Tony Hoagland H-O-A-G-L-A-N-D I know my leaving in the breakfast table mess, bowls spilled into bowl, milk and bran, bread crust crumbled, you push me back into bed, more honey and baby, beneath you tell my, uh, my ears, <clears throat> more honey and baby. Breath, you tell my ears, circles inside me, curls a damp wind and runs the circuit of my limbs. I interrogate the air, smell Murphy's oil soap, dog kibble, no rose, no patchouli swelter, all your mouth sesame, your olive, the nudge of your tongue behind my top teeth. To entirely finish is water, entering water, which is the cup. I take away, more turning me, less your arms reaching around my back, you ask my ear, where have I been? And my body answers, all over kingdom come.
I'm going to pronounce this abade, A-U-B-A-D-E, by Amber Flora Thomas. We have got two speeches left, if the gals who are out here live would like to stop clapping, however much I appreciate it, and start writing up their quick quotes. Ari will show you how it's done. You just have me say what you want me to say if you're out here live. You put it in quotation marks. I go ahead and say it. You've got the next two poems to go ahead and put it in together, and then I'll be happy to put it in with you. Whoever you are holding me now in hand, without one thing, all will be useless. I give you fair warning before you attempt me further. I am not what you supposed, but far different. Who is he that would become my follower, who would sign himself a candidate for my affection? The way is suspicious, the result uncertain, perhaps destructive. You would have to give up all else. I alone would expect to be your sole and exclusive standard. Your naivete would even then be long and exhausting. The whole past theory of your life and all conformity to the lives around you would have to be abandoned. Therefore, release me now before troubling yourself any further. Let go your hand from my shoulder. Put me down and depart on your way. Or else by stealth in some wood for trial or back off a rock in the open air For in any roofed room of a house, I emerge not, nor in company. And in libraries I lie as in one dumb, agog, or unborn, or dead. But just possibly with you on a high hill, first watching lest any person for miles around approaches unawares, or possibly with you sailing at sea, or on the beach of the sea of some quiet island, here, to put your lips onto mine, I permit you. With your comrade's long-dwelling kiss, or the new husband's kiss, for I am the new husband, and I am the comrade. Or, if you will, thrusting me beneath your clothing, where I may feel the throbs of your heat and rest upon your hip, carry me, when you go forth over land and sea, for thus merely touching you is enough, is best. And thus touching you, I would silently sleep and be carried eternally. But these leaves con you, con at peril. For these leaves and me you will not understand. They will elude you at first, and still more afterward. I will certainly elude you, even while you should think you had unquestionably caught me. Behold, already you see I have escaped from you. For it is not what I have put into that I have written this book, nor is it by reading it that you will acquire it, nor do those who 
best who know me best admire me and vauntingly praise me, nor well the candidates for my love, unless at most a very few prove victorious, nor well my poems do good only. They will do just as much evil. Perhaps more. For all is useless without that which you may guess at many times and not hit, that which I hinted at. Therefore, release me and depart on your way. Whoever you are now holding me in hand, Walt Whitman. You have come to me out of antiquities. We have loved one another for generations. We have loved one another for centuries. You teach me to trust the voice of my voices. You teach me to believe my own believings. You touch the papability of my possibilities. Together we reflect on our mirrors conceal. Together we upgrade the sun in our meridians. We remain open at night and day to transcendence. You are incompletely disguised as a mortal. You are the eternal stranger I have always known. I saw your wings this morning. I saw your wings. When you tickle my carvings and sniff my privacies, when you douse my terrier or launch my dismemberment, I salute you in the name of all that intimidates me and pray for a mild winter. But you take me apart and you put me back together differently. You mend my tatters and fasten my seams. You patch my pieces and tie my ends up. Then you totally unravel me. You have deranged my accounts, unbalanced my books, crossed my live wires, and torn up my agendas. I salute you in gratitude for this devastation. You are my undoing. You and my all together. The Bliss of Wyth James Broughton. Okay, that is all of the poetry for this morning. Yes, yes, yes. So many requests. Thank you to everybody who sent one in, especially early. Again, it let Allie take the night off because she could just give everything over to me so quick and so smooth. I really, really appreciate uh, that. Uh... Yes. Whoops. Daddy makes a little mistake now and then. Sometimes he closes out a window. Here we go. <clears throat> you can relax now, Faith. Moan it into my mouth. Who do you belong to? Oh, baby. I am what you need. Now. Open those legs for me. One small step backwards does not undo your progress and hard work, baby girl. I'm proud of you. Push through it.
on your knees, princess. Daddy wants to use that pretty little mouth of yours. You have been such a good girl, Chastity. You're such a good girl for me, Sierra. <laughs> you gonna come for me? Keep going, baby girl. Look at me when you come. You don't look away. You tried your best this week. Good girl. You did so well at work this week, baby girl. You like riding daddy's cock, baby? Oh, fuck. Mm. <laughs> yes. Just like that. You did so well this week, baby girl. Now come. Relax. Sit on daddy's lap. Now bend over, princess, and show daddy that sweet ass of yours. Wrap your lovely mouth around my cock and moan my name. Last shot, especially new girls. We're finishing up the quick quotes, and then we'll be moving right on into love letters. If you want me to say anything, including your name or anything else, a little bit of encouragement, get in right now. Thank you to all the girls who came out live and made this happen. Thank you to all the girls who make everything happen. In fact, Aria, while we're here, would you be so kind as to go ahead and put up the tip jar for anybody who wants to go ahead and throw some money in there? I promise. I totally understand. I just want you to come out. You listening to the podcast means everything. I know you're broke. I know you're waiting for this and that. I get it. Just for those of you who can, thank you so much. You do support the podcast. And of course, you are the ones who made my voice sound this silky smooth for this podcast. And all of the rest of the girls appreciate that. I guarantee you. Okay. You had such a hard week, Aidy. Let me hold you and kiss the back of your head. Come on, baby girl, let me show you exactly who owns that pussy. Maybe fucking girl. Daddy wants the way you moan for him. Oops. My goodness. <clears throat> baby fucking girl. Daddy loves the way you moan for him. Mm. Who's my pretty princess? Is it you, Minnie? Okay, finishing up. Closing the door, slowly but surely. There it is, the gate's going down, the gate's slowly falling, it's powered by an old golf cart motor, it's not very fast, but it's the only thing that we had that worked and fit in the crankshaft. There it is, slow, there, okay, about 70%, alright, I'm gonna just keep lowering my head now as the gate lowers to keep giving you a percentage update of the gate closing, once again, please do not go through the gate as it is closing. You have to go in right now. You have to come in. Oh, don't sue us. 
Ooh, there is a spike on the bottom of the gate right there. We do use it to go ahead and cut up pizza on pizza night. All right, gate closing, gate closing, gate closing. Just three more days of work, Ashley. You can do it. And thank you to all the girls who made a request, because I know it can't always be easy. All right. Let's do one of these. We haven't done one of these in a while. <clears throat> I was going to be a woman rider. And in fact, I had spent four years at Wellesley going to lectures by women writers, hoping that I would be the beneficiary of some of their terrific secret, which I never was. And now, here, as I was the graduation, under these very trees, absolutely terrified. And I sat here thinking, okay, this is my last chance for a really terrific secret. Lay it on me. And I want to tell you a little bit about my class, the class of 1962. When I came to Wellesley in the fall of 1958, how long ago was it? While I was here, Wellesley threw six young women out for being lesbians. It was so long ago that we had curfews. In my class of maybe 365 young women, there were six Asians and five blacks. There was a strict quota on the number of Jews. Tuition was 2000 a year, and in my junior year, it was raised to 2250 and my parents practically had a heart attack. The Harvard Crimson had this snippy article which said that Wellesley was a school for Tunishikata. Tunishikata apparently being a small fish who spend the first part of their lives frantically swimming around the ocean floor, exploring their environment, and the second part of their lives just living their breeding. It had a horrible ring of truth. My class went to college in the era when you got a master's degree in teaching because it was something to fall back on, the scenario being that no one married you and you actually had to go to work. And as we said at our reunion, our education was a dress rehearsal for a life we never led. We weren't meant to have futures. We were meant to marry them. During my junior year, I went to see my class dean, and she said to me, You've worked so hard at Wellesley. When you marry, take a year off. Devote yourself to your husband and your marriage. I'd always intended to work after college. My mother was a career woman, and all four of her daughters grew up understanding that the question, What do you want to be when you grow up, was as valid for girls as it was for boys. Years later, I met another Wellesley graduate who had been hell-bent on domestically as I had been on a career, and she had gone the same dean with the same problem, and the dean had said to her, Don't have children right away. Take a year to work. And so I saw that Wellesley was for us to avoid the extremes. To be instead that thing in the middle, a lady. We should spend our lives making knives. Many of my classmates did exactly what they were supposed to do when they graduated from Wellesley, and some of them lived happily ever after, but many of them didn't. All sorts of things happened to them that no one expected. They didn't have money. They got divorced. They were bored witless, and so they had to work. Some women's movement came along and made judgments and caught them by surprise because they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. 
weren't they? They had never intended to be the heroines of their own lives. They ended up feeling like victims. They ended up thinking that their years in college were the best years of their lives. Things have changed, haven't they? Yes, they have. American society has a remarkable ability to resist change or to take whatever change has taken place and attempt to make it go away. Don't underestimate how much antagonism there is and how many people wish we could turn the clock back. One of the things people always say to you if they get upset is, don't take it personally, but listen hard at what's going on and please, I beg you, take it personally. Above all, be the heroine in your life, not the victim. You are not going to be you, fixed and immutable you forever. We have a game where you have to write the five things that describe yourself on a piece of paper. Whatever those five things are for you today, they won't make the list in ten years. Not that you still won't be some of those things. But they won't be the five most important things about you which is one of the most delicious things available to women. Whatever you choose, however many roads you travel, I hope that you choose not to be a lady. I hope you will find some way to break the rules and make a little trouble out there. I also hope that you will choose to make some of that trouble on behalf of women. Good luck. The first act of your life is over. Welcome to the best years of your life. Nora Ephron addressing Wellesley graduates. I think I can speak for a lot of girls when I can say, thank you to whoever sent that one in. I think it probably resonated. <clears throat> All right, on to love letters. Wingy, I have been trying to find just the right thing to say, but nothing comes. The right word will not be spoken. A frightful storm may have just come, and in the greatest hurry, I have got to the station an hour before the time, lest, if I wanted, could not come at all. A newspaper reporter has followed me from the hotel where he blocked my way and was repeatedly refused but waited, hat in hand, following me, standing before me, though I say over and over again, I will. What is yet for us, I cannot see. But I think you will need me yet in a future, perhaps. I do not think you need me now, but... I plead that you will consider what I said this morning. I will give up all to you if you will try once more to be satisfied with me. Could you not take six months for that experiment? We would go away from everyone. I wish for you happiness and good. Think what I said this morning, and do not decide hastily that there is only this one way. Remember our Florida. If, after all, there is but this way for you, if you will do this, then I will not stand in your way. That means I will study only for your comfort and pleasure and happiness. That will mean and take myself out of your way for a while, at least 
and to reappear only when I can again act graciously and well in my new role. Do not dream that I blame you. Never, never. However, it should have been my due to at least have known the danger. I have guarded against it however much I would blame another, and to who another did this. Never, when it is just you and me, it is too deep to blame because it is all too deep for comprehension. The pain, the strangeness, the surprise, the wrench, the hurt, the wonder. There is no fright about it now. I do not know whether it is I who understand you, or perhaps we, neither of us, understand each other. I cannot write. It is merely time for me to leave. God bless you. You can depend on me. Rose. I cannot speak nor write of my love. You know. Rose Cleveland to Evangeline Simpson, 1890. I have told you, and I have told you truly, I love you too much. You engross my thoughts too entirely to allow me to think of anything else. You not only employ my mind all day, but you intrude upon my sleep. I meet you in every dream, and when I wake, I cannot close my eyes again for the ruminating of your sweetness. Tis a pretty story indeed that I am to be thus monopolized by a little nut-brown maid like you, and from a statesman and a soldier metamorphized into a puny lover. I believe in my soul you are my enchantress, but I have tried in vain, if not to break at least, to weaken the charm you maintain. Your empire, in spite of all my efforts and every new one, I want to withdraw myself from my allegiance, from my partial heart still returns, and cling to you with increased attachment. To drop figure of my lovely girl, you've become dear to my every moment. I am more and more unhappy, impatient, under the hard necessity that keeps you from me. The prospect lengthens as I advance. I had hoped the middle would not give us to each other, but I now fear it will be the latter end. Though this period of our reunion in reality approaches, it seems further off. Among the other causes of uneasiness, I dread lest you should imagine. I yield too easily to the bars that keep us asunder. But if you have such an idea, you could banish it and reproach yourself with injustice. A spirit entering into bliss. Heaven opening upon all its faculties cannot long more ardently for the enjoyment than I do for my darling Betsy, to taste the heaven that awaits me in your bosom. It is my language too strong. It is a feeble picture of my feelings. No words can tell you how much I love you and how much I long. You will only know it when you wrap them in each other's arms and give and take those delicious caresses which love inspires and marriage sanctifies. 
I ought at least to hear from you by every post. At least your last letter is as old as the middle of September. You will laugh at me for consulting you about such a trifle, but I want to know whether you would prefer my receiving the nuptial benediction in my uniform or in a different habit. It will be just as you please, so consult your whim and what you think most of consistent with propriety. <laughs> propriety. If you mean to follow our plan of being secretly married, the sculpture ought to appear entirely your own, and if you should begin to take hints of it, may I only be as successful in pleasing you, and may you be as happy as I should ever wish to make you. Alexander Hamilton to Elizabeth Schuler, October 1780. I guess the rapping came later. I wanted to make that joke last week, but I didn't, so there it is. It's not a good joke. There it is. My darling Toph, in this path we are on, it is unpredictable, mysterious, profoundly challenging, and, yes, even fulfilling. It is a path we chose to embark on together, and for all the brambles and obstructions that we have come to our way of late, I have no regrets. In fact, all of our difficulties have shown me how deeply I love you and how grateful I am that we can follow this path together. Our future will be bright. My darling one, because we have each other and our youngins. With all my heart and soul, I love you. Love letter from Dana Reeve to Christopher Reeve. Eleven months after the riding accident that left him paralyzed. I saw her. I loved her. I resolved to make her love me. The thirst of glory cooled immediately in my heart, and I saw all passions were lost in this new one. I thought of nothing but Helos. Everything brought me her image to my mind. I was pensive and restless, and my passion was so violent as to admit of no restraint. Thus, there was a most happy understanding between us. The same house, the same love, united our persons and our desires. How many soft moments did we pass together? We took all opportunities to express each other, our mutual affection. We were ingenious in contriving incidents which might give us a plausible occasion in meeting. Her wit and her beauty would have stirred the dullest and most insensible heart. I was always vain and presumptuous. I flattered myself already with the most bewitching hopes. Imagine then what pleasure it must have been to hot so inflamed as mine as to always be near the dear object of desire. My love burns fiercer amidst the happy indifference of those who surround me. Love is incapable of being concealed. A word, a look, nay, 
Silence speaks it. I am thoroughly wrenched. I have not yet torn from my heart the deep roots which vice has planted in it, and does not the love for Helos yet burn in my heart? I have not yet triumphed over the uneasy passion in the midst of my retirement. I sigh, I weep, I pine, I speak the dear name Helos, the delight to hear its sound. Love letter from Abelard to Helos. We've got one last love letter today. Oh, you girls just wanted so much love. You lovely lovers just love love, don't you? Oh, you lovely lover lovers. Okay. <clears throat> I can no longer listen in silence. I must speak to you by such means as are within my reach. You pierce my soul. I am half agony, half hope. Tell me not that I am too late, that I have such precious feelings are gone forever. I offer myself to you again with a heart even more your own than when you almost broke it eight years and a half ago. I dare not say that man forgets sooner than women that his love has an earlier death. I have loved you none, and none but you. Unjust I may have been, weak and resentful I may have been, but never inconsistent. You alone brought me to bath, for you alone I think and plan. Have you not seen this? Can you fail to have understood my wishes? I have not waited even these ten days, could not have read your feelings, and I think you must have penetrated mine. I can hardly write. I am every instant hearing something which overpowers me. You sink your voice, but I can distinguish the tones of that voice when they would be lost on others. Too good, too excellent creature. You do us justice indeed. You do believe that there is true attachment and consistency among men. Believe it to be the most fervent, most undeviating end. Frederick Wentworth to Anne Elliot in James Austin's Persuasion well, that doesn't count. <laughs> I'm not mad at who sent that in. That's not a real love letter. That's literary. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. You're getting sneakier. Boy, I don't know what's serious or not. I've got two porn cases here, so I guess I'm just going to read them both. And that's going to play us on out. Bop, 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 bop. Hope everyone's been having a good time tonight. It's moving on into the smut portion, if that's not your thing. All right. Oh, no. I definitely read that one because it says all night over and over and over again. Oh, did I click on the wrong things from Allie? Oh, fuck.
Give me a second here. Nope. I dropped the ball. <gasps> we did all night last week, and I can't do it again. I'll crack up. <laughs> I can't do it again. I'm sorry. I can't do it again. I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll lose my shit. Uh, so I've got one here. Oh, I hope this is it. Maybe somebody can... Yeah, I might need some rescuing. I'm so sorry here. Uh, if anybody wants to go maybe try and find a funny piece real quick, or if you have a funny piece, send it to Arya. It would mean a lot. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter show. Here we go. <clears throat> well, not too gross or not too crazy. Two people immediately just jumped up. One of them said it in public. One of them sent me a DM going, I have one, but it's awful. Well, then you don't have one. No disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> just real quick on the all the characters over 18 thing like a long time ago i read fan fiction with power rangers and it became apparent like i don't know like midway through chapter one that the narrator probably wasn't 18 like i don't feel like i don't remember how it went out but like it was fun up until then. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I was like, I knew no one's going to blame me for that. I didn't find it. I didn't read it. Reading it wasn't in any way like celebrating minors or anything like that. It was it was cra just crazy Power Ranger sex. <laughs> but like, I, like it kind of bummed me out. Cause it was a, it definitely like bottoming out on a boat, though, right? Like that took a lot of speed out of that reading for me. I'm like, oh, fuck. Because you never know what's going to happen. So I just like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to do any more of that. Can I just, just real quick as a point of like how much I overthought things compared to now. I still overthink things. And like <laughs> how crazy I think the world is. Somebody got mad at me because I said I was going to read chapter two of that and then I didn't. Right? I made I made the call because we found out halfway through. I'm like, I'm not, I'm going to keep going with it on a future. I was like, I'm going to keep reading with it. And somebody actually sent me a message going like, you never fulfill your promises. I'm just telling you, sometimes you think it's the easiest thing in the world being this guy. And sometimes it's like, what do you, what call was right there then? You tell me, internet person, what call was right? <laughs> you fall, you fall midway into Power Rangers sex. What are you doing? Uh, the context, because a bunch of people are asking and now clicking on the back episode, I'm probably going to have to ask Allie which one that is so people can go back and listen to it. Uh, the context is actually terrifying. It's even worse than it sounds. Um, the Pink Ranger is straight up being, like, BDSM'd into, into like, sci-fi submission. So, like... <laughs> like she's getting like strapped up and shit and like her clothes are falling off and that alone's making her go like oh my god I'm so horny and it's just like an anime and that's pretty much how I was reading it uh 50 lashes sounds right because we do lash the shit out of the pink ranger in that story from what I remember lashing her right in the pussy and then we found out why yeah she gets 50 lashes to the pussy right and then we're like why is she getting lashed to the pussy Ah, the author doesn't know. The author's, the author's never, the author's never been hurt there before, so they think that that's an acceptable punishment. Yowza. Uh, 
All right, a little bit of trivia behind the scenes there. A little bit of belly aching and caterwauling, just to pad out the episode. There's a little bit of trivia. No matter what I do, somebody's always got to wait a minute. Here we go. I don't know if this is funny or not. This is a hell of an opening line. Remember now, Ollie, Jamie said. Just put your tongue, lips, teeth, no fingers, no penetration. Did I read this before? That's for me, not for you. That's interesting. Got it, Oliver said, sounding as breathless as I felt. He looked me over slowly at first. My cheeks burned with embarrassment, tinted with need. What did he think of me? Of this? Of us? But then I saw the hump in his khakis and realized he had an erection, quite a sizable one, if I wasn't mistaken, and I forgot all that when he bent forward, almost as if in prayer, and kissed my inner thighs. First one, and then the other. He dragged his soft bee-sting lips up to the very top of my thigh where the skin was the most sensitive. He kissed a maddeningly soft line across my mouth and then down the other side when my hips lifted up to meet his mouth to tempt him. He finally gave us both what we clearly wanted. His mouth clamped down on mine, his lips soft and hot. His tongue parted me, sickening my already juicy pussy with his saliva. His tongue painted insistent swirls on my clit until I was gripping the arms of the chair and moving my body up to meet him. Jamie sat and watched. His cock was hard, that much I could tell. His eyes were shiny, mouth set in a fine, amused line. He was enjoying this almost as much as me. I realized, with what borderlined on shock, it had never occurred to me that this fantasy of mine might do something for him. But clearly, it did. Make her come, he whispered. Oliver sealed his mouth to me, using the rigid tip of his tongue to nudge my clit over and over and over until I was panting for breath. And then he stopped. His mouth hovered near my pussy, but he pulled back. He didn't touch me. My head pounded with blood, and I shifted relentlessly. I wanted to come. I needed to come. Desperately. Oliver glanced up at me with his pretty gem-colored eyes and gave me a crooked grin. Then he blew warm breath across my damp sex. Before I could register this new tactic, his mouth was back on me, his tongue back at me, working me. I came with a rough cry and an eager thrust of my hips, thrusting up with such force I felt the bite of his upper teeth against the smooth skin of my mound. I sat back inside and then began to laugh. Good? Jammy laughed, and I could tell he was asking both of us. Good, I echoed, trying to catch my breath. One more, Oliver said. 
Before I could answer, Jamie nodded and once again said, Yeah, but after the first one, she's really sensitive. So you'll have to hold her legs. I blinked, but had no time to react in any other way before Oliver had pinned my legs wide with his large hands. He had very long fingers, I noticed, and I wondered wildly what it would be like if Jamie would let me stick one or two in me, what it would feel like if he fucked me with those fingers. The sensation of his mouth back on me swept me under. As he laughed at me with the stranger's tongue holding me with the stranger's hand, I felt like it was all too much. The pleasure bordered on pain, and I threatened to eat me alive, to crush me whole. Please, please, I muttered, though he nearly shot up when I saw Jamie's nod with confidence. Keep going. She always says that, and then you had a point where... The next lick from Oliver sent a shiver through me. A steamy gush of pleasure filled my lower body. Jamie laughed. There it is. We always hit a point where the pleasure beats out the sensitivity. I wriggle in my seat, feeling how plump and ready I was, how slick and willing. My mind, in my mind, I let Oliver shove those long, thick fingers into me. I let him play me like his own personal instrument. I let him fuck me with his thick digits while eating my pussy as if his life depended on it. And there it is. Jamie chuckled as I let out a cum for the second time, my voice a rough ghost of its former self. I clutched at Oliver's lush, dark hair as I went sinking. Oliver kissed the inside of my right hand, then my left eye. He sat back on his heels and saluted Jamie. Thanks, Jane. Mrs. Jane. He said, giving me a friendly nod. I was too stunned and flushed and pleasure-drunk to do much more than nod and say, Nice to meet you. And if that were in any way appropriate, given the circumstances. When he stood, I noted the impressive hard-on in his pants. I fought the urge to reach out and touch it just to feel the evidence of my appeal under my fingertips. Just for a fleeting moment, I wondered what he would do with that cock if he'd jerk off in the elevator or maybe his car, go home and fuck his wife or girlfriend with it. Jamie caught me looking and cocked an eyebrow before either of us could speak. Oliver was out the door. Jamie held out his hand to me. Come, he said. I teased, but I stood on wobbly legs and moved with him towards where he sat. Before he could say anything, I dropped to my knees and worked his zipper with my shivery fingers. I had his cock out, and his mouth was before I could say anything. I was celebrating the fulfillment of my fantasy with one of my favorite things, sucking his cock. His fingers played through my short hair and then tucked it beneath my ears so he could watch me. He stroked the sides of my face gently and drove my lips down to the very root of him. My eyes drifted shut from the sensation of his fingers on my skin. I can't wait anymore, baby. When I refused to stop, he tugged a hank of my hair just hard enough to get my attention and sent a fresh rush of wetness to my pussy. I moved up to where he wanted me, his spit-slick cock standing straight up. 
He held it for me, and I straddled him, sank down on him slowly, moving as gracefully as I could for a woman shaking so hard. That was the hottest fucking thing. He laughed. No, this is the hottest fucking thing. I said, moving like I had all the time in the world. I knew what I was doing to him. I felt how hard he was, how fast his heart was beating in his chest. He kept his hand over it as I moved my body languidly. He groaned. Blair, I was just kissed down there by lips I never even touched before. Jamie just groaned again. His tongue was on my clit, inside me at all times. Jamie thrust up under once hard, but I forced myself to continue a slow, lazy rhythm. That was a hell of a tease. And that comes from Summer, S-O-M-M-E-R, Marsden, M-A-R-S-D-E-N. Summer, Marsden, and that is from... The Sexy Librarian's Big Book of Erotica. All right, guys. Goodness gracious, that's the show. We had so much love lettering and so much poetry. I hope you did enjoy all of it. But uh, I don't see where anybody got some smut into us for the evening. So that is going to have to be it. There will be another show next Friday and the Friday after. You can always come right on in and give everything you want to one of our moderators, Aria or Serena or Ali. They'll be happy to hand it to me. And I want to see you here next week. Quick quotes, your friends, your requests. Obviously, I could have danced all night long. Listen to how quick I got through everything that we already had. This normally would have taken like 90 minutes. So I just kind of slayed and prayed. Uh, I think my voice will be this good next week as well. So you should definitely be requesting everything. You should definitely come on out. Thank you to everybody who shares the podcast on social media, who talks me up with a friend, who is a patron. All of you are deeply appreciated. I do I appreciate you. Ali appreciates you. We all appreciate you from all the ladies of the night. Come out next Friday. I know you're going to miss the podcast. You can make up for it by coming out and seeing me. Friday, 10 Eastern, on the server. I hope to see you there. Bye.